0: How's it going, everybody? You're listening to another episode of the Super Mercado Brothers Video Game Music Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. This is the podcast where we share and discuss the very best in video game music. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. I'm so excited for today's episode. Uh, I think we mentioned what it was going to be last week, but this is an episode topic that has been in the works for, I think, several months now. Carl and I have talked about this idea for a while. Yeah, It's been a long
1: time, and some of you have also had this idea too, kind of some parallel thinking. I remember getting at least one email that had this idea, And um, that person didn't really realize that we had already thought about this This is going to be a very unique, nice change of pace episode Today is about ports So
0: Will, do you want to give a little bit of a rundown of what we're going to do today? Yeah, absolutely So typically on this show, we like to pick topics that allow us to recontextualize music Even if it's a track that we've already played maybe multiple times on the podcast We like to find new ways of grouping the music or the playlist So Mm -hmm. it gives us different themes things to analyze and discuss. And today's episode, I think, is one of the most excitingly different ways of recontextualizing the music playlist. What we're going to do today is exclusively focusing on music that was released across multiple platforms correct and what we're going to do is we're going to play multiple versions of every single track <laughs> that we play and we're Pretty sort crazy. of contrasting how something was ported across system to system yeah
1: there are certain examples where this is clearly designed for one system and then we're going to hear it watered down on another system yeah. there are other examples where oh this feels good across the board and i think we're going to talk a little bit more today about those differences those technical differences and probably right. a little bit less about the music itself
0: well and i think the interesting thing about retro video game music is that it isn't just technical differences it's not just different timbres or different sounds say like going from the genesis to the snes or vice versa but you know let's say we have an example that goes from the super nintendo to the game boy for instance Mm -hmm. i don't know that we have uh that exact pairing but the Game Boy has uh, such strict voice limitations that actual compositional differences in the track itself need to be made. And so we're going to try to explore as many different combinations of juxtaposing consoles. In some cases, we have arcade games that were ported to consoles, or we have (laughs) old computer system games that were ported to consoles, or In in some cases, we also have dual releases. So say there would be sort of a mainline version of a title that would come out on a home console and then kind of uh, a portable version version of that same title. Yeah, we have that example.
1: So really, guys, this is going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a very unique episode. We have a lot more. Technically, we have a lot more music to play as far as the number of tracks, but this is all doubled up for the most part. So um, it's going to be a really good time. What you guys are playing in was a pretty crazy montage that we made up, and we made a few of those montages today. (laughs) That was Guile's theme from Street Fighter 2. All of the different ports of Street Fighter 2 that I could find, there probably were a couple that I, that I left out, but just off the top of my head, you heard multiple different Super Nintendo versions. You heard the arcade, the Genesis, the Turbo Graphics, the Saturn, the PC, the Master System. That version sounded atrocious. That was <laughs> really funny um, to get to that part
0: in the montage. So anyway, I thought that was a fun way to start this episode off. Well, and we have to talk about Street Fighter because really with the conceit, of today's episode, which is ports. I mean, I think that's probably the most infamous example of a yes. game being popular on so many different platforms and they're really not being a definitive... Version That's what's crazy. of the game or of the soundtrack.
1: Well, let's move on. Uh so the the pairing that I think first came to Will and myself, first came to our mind, was games that came out on the Genesis and the Super Nintendo. I remember that right. was an era when there was a lot of people taking sides. I and mean, as a kid, I remember right. going the to the video the store wars. and I would be in the Genesis aisle and I would peer over to the kids in the SNES aisle and just give them these scathing looks. And so there definitely was this sense of competition. This is a soundtrack in a game that was released for, actually, originally the arcade, but it was ported to the Genesis and the Super Nintendo. This is Sunset Riders. So we're going to take a listen to the Stage 1 theme. Let's start off uh, listening to the Genesis, and then we will, after that, take a listen to the SNES version, and let's compare them a little bit. This is the Genesis version of Stage 1, composed by Motowaki Furukawa, Sunset Riders. This is the Genesis port of Sunset Riders, which is a classic Western shoot 'em up. This is the Stage One theme, composed
0: by Motoaki Furukawa. You know, several years ago, Carl and I did a two-parter episode where we focused on the very best of the Sega Genesis and the very mm-hmm. best of the Super Nintendo, kind of comparing and contrasting the strengths of the consoles and the various soundtracks that were written across those platforms yeah, a bit of a show in showdown. two episodes. Mm-hmm. What's fun about today's episode is we can play these tracks back-to-back, and it's almost like a control subject. You know, if the control is the arcade version, we get to hear the distinct sounds of each different console. One thing that this Genesis port doesn't have that the original arcade version did was a PCM sample channel that had these orchestra hit sounds. And and that's one area where the Super Nintendo Uh, Actually has a slight advantage because it is able to utilize those samples Well, yeah before
1: we talk too much Let's just take a listen to the Super Nintendo version now and then we can kind of compare and contrast them at that point So this is the SNES version of stage one of Sunset Riders. Here we go All right, so definitely I think Will and myself would agree this is the version that we're probably the most familiar with that we grew up with, those classic sampled orchestra hits and just, you know, the castanets and all that Western stuff. Uh, Very classic. I will say I was pleasantly surprised with the Genesis version. I don't necessarily think that one is better than the other. I think that the Genesis version sounds really good in a different way. And you get that... What's interesting is hearing it on that FM bass instrument, it feels more like the driving kind of ease bass rhythm, right. which I never really noticed before. Particularly that B before. section. It really right. has
0: a completely different emotional character with the timbral differences, I So think. it's still good on the Genesis, but yeah, I mean, yeah. to get those classic
1: samples, uh, it really is is lacking on, in that department on the Genesis. Well,
0: one thing that's interesting about this track is like right. that I don't know if it's supposed to be like a mandolin, but it almost has a percussive sound kind of like, like Castanets a marimba or, or something. something. Hmm. It, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Some sort of Pitch percussion thing. I actually like how they synthesized that on the Sega Genesis or Mega Drive version. There's something that always seemed a little corny about that on the Super Nintendo version to me, mm-hmm. um, but in general, I think I, I probably would say I prefer the Super Nintendo version because those orchestra hits are so signature to my memory of this track. And, and it, it really goes a long way,
1: especially later on in some of the boss themes. You have some acoustic guitar samples and stuff, and, and that does help convey this sense of Western. So if I had to pick, I would say the Super Nintendo's my preferred version to listen to. But then... And it would definitely be Genesis. After that, I think both of them are actually, in my opinion, better than how the arcades sounded. So, but what a wonderful piece of music! Yeah, let's move on to an interesting example. So, one thing that Will thought of was: Is there a game that was released for a Japanese computer system that was also ported to a console uh, at that time? And we were able to find one. Actually, Ease Two is a great example of that. So what we're going to do is we're first going to play really the original. This is what the soundtrack was designed for, the PC-88. It was the first system it was uh, released on. This track is composed by Yuzo Koshiro. This is Ice Ridge of Noltia. We're going to play this version, say a couple things, and then take a listen to actually the NES port of this game. Here we go. This is the PC-88 version. the eighty-eight version of Ease 2, Ice Ridge of Nultia. One disclaimer, today's episode, since we have so many tracks to get through, definitely not going to be playing full forms here. So just be aware, guys, you're going to be fading out pretty early to make room for everything. Uh, and also limiting our conversation so that we can hear the differences fresh in our mind. So, right. Will, we're very familiar with this version, the timbres of that FM synth combining with the PSG, very classic. Shall we hear what this track sounds like on the NES? <laughs> Let's do it. Alright, here's Ice Ridge of Noltia. Imagine that you didn't know this track and the first time you heard it was on the NES. It would feel like a classic, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, Really cool stuff. This is, again, Ice Ridge of Nultia. I don't think that these two people were involved in the NES version. I think it was a different team, probably a different person that had to Mm. translate the
0: music here. Um, Will, what are your thoughts? What is conveyed from the original and what is lost? Well, you know, when I was listening to the... I haven't heard this NES version, actually. And so when I was listening to the PC-88, I was kind of marveling at how succinct the number of voices are. I mean, you have yeah. the clarity of that bass line and essentially these two harmonized voices. Now, you lose the ability to have some of the doublings and delay effects, as well as there is a, a counter melody right. in the original example once so that's the principal melody comes not in. Not really there. Yeah, but... In general, the basic construction really lends itself well to the that three-voice texture, melody and harmony. And what's cool about the composition of Ice Ridge of Noltia is that harmony line kind of... It doesn't stay in sort of strict parallel motion with the melody. It often is kind of having like a counter-melody function yeah, dancing where it around moves it. at a different rhythm and, yeah, it kind of dances yeah, around. Yeah, I will say that as far as the actual... Parts compositionally, it
1: works quite well on the NES. What you're losing is the sense of timbre and that and that icy sound. So some of those specific connotations and some of the quote-unquote production elements
0: that you're able to get in the PC88 version, it's it's definitely lost on the NES because right. the, the thing, biting quality of the FM bass is so different than the kind of more plain and rounded sound of the triangle. Well,
1: yeah, and also like the specific choices they make, like to have that really kind of chimey, icy percussive instrument that was a specific choice and you don't have that choice on the nes so everything's a lot more limited so very interesting example there uh let's move on uh another really interesting thing that happened in this around this era was that sometimes you had games that were released for the nes as well as the game boy so obviously two nintendo platforms that in some ways you might think have very similar sounds and, and approaches to sound but A lot of times these soundtracks sounded very different on these platforms, and sometimes they had fully different soundtracks you know i think about an example like batman return to the joker where there was literally naoki kadaka composed a separate soundtrack for the game boy right probably because it was kind of hard to to make it sound uh to make nes music
0: sound good on the game boy well, and also oftentimes in in that era rather than being ports necessarily they were, they kind were different of games. separately designed games around yeah. similar mechanics but different engines and different entirely constructed games.
1: And that could definitely be the case with this game, uh, as far as the gameplay goes. This is Darkwing Duck. What I will say is that, for the most part, this soundtrack uses the same material, the same music converted to the Game Boy. Uh, This was composed originally for the NES by Yasuaki Bun-Bun Fujita, and Junko Tamiya was responsible for converting it to the Game Boy, and it seemed like it was kind of a hard task. (laughs) Let's take a listen to Quacker Jack's Bridge from the original NES version of Darkwing Duck. So again, just a taste of this. To let you guys know what this sounds like Some of you are definitely familiar with this A classic Bun Bun music here on the NES Clearly this is the original This is what he wrote this music on uh, And then it's interesting that Junko Tamiya Was the one brought in to actually convert the music Now there's some differences in the soundtrack And some of the titles actually are different as well right. But this piece of music For whether or not it was Quacker Jack's bridge It might have had a different title But it was some bridge stage uh, Was used
0: in the Game Boy Shall we take a listen to Before we hear the Game Boy track, I just want to call out a couple distinct things at the NES that we can listen out for to possibly Mm -hmm. hear if there are differences. One of the effects that's very common in NES writing that we hear here is the sound of the slightly fine pitch detuned leads that create that almost chorus guitar effect. That also is something that was done on the Game Boy, but I'm curious to hear if (laughs) Junko Tamiya uh, was able to capture that same effect. Let's see what she was able to do with the Game Boy version of Darkwing Duck.
1: So, struggling, I would say. (laughs) Um, Definitely compared to the original. uh, Nothing about the timbre is fun or pleasing here, unfortunately. It is interesting going to the Game Boy because, again, the Game Boy here, you're able to have some stereo panning choices, which is weird. And then also, you don't really have a clear triangle sound. So, to differentiate the bass from everything else, um, it's all kind of jumbled together. It's definitely a little bit of a struggle here.
0: Yeah, I mean the the difference with the Game Boy is there are some more limitations in terms of how you can actually design instruments. And uh, Volume curves, it's a little bit more basic in some aspects than the NES So in terms of timbre differences, I can understand why that would be the case But you also have being said options right there are certain things that the wave channel Right that there are certain things that the Game Boy can do that the NES can't and I will say I think porting a piece of music from one to the other and Um, especially because this was a different composer. I think Junko maybe felt some sense of obligation to almost copy note for note, yeah. What Bun Bun did in the original track Where I think if she was writing her own She might have exploited Some of the aspects that the Game Boy does Maybe better than the NES I would And agree. this is a track where it does It's not necessarily utilizing What sounds great on the Game Boy And it just kind of sounds, like you said it's, it's a little lacking
1: Well yeah, and that's actually one reason I was excited to play this Because this is a really interesting example of You're clearly hearing a port here You're right. hearing music that wasn't designed for this platform And I don't know how many times We've been able to, able to feature that kind
0: of stuff on the podcast. So really interesting. It's interesting. We did, however, get to hear that kind of chorusy detuned effect in one of the response lines on this Game Boy version. All right. I wouldn't call it a swing and a miss completely. Maybe like a swing
1: and like a foul or something. (laughs) All right. Uh, Let's move on to one of the montages that we put together today. Now, this is a cool example because in the 16-bit era, there were definitely these popular titles that were released for like everything under the sun. Um, And so we wanted to make a montage that featured a bunch of different platforms. This is a montage that is featuring, I think, four different platforms. And this is for Earthworm Jim. This is a game that was all over the place. So we're going to play a little bit of New Junk City, and I think what we're going to do with this montage is you're going to hear just a little bit of the intro, starting with the Genesis, and then you'll hear that same snippet uh, on the SNES, that same snippet on the Game Boy, and finally on the Sega CD, and then I think we'll move to some other sections and, and do that thing a couple different times. Originally composed by Tommy Tallarico, let's take a listen to this medley of New Junk City from Earthworm Jim. Interesting. You guys listened to a montage of New Junk City, originally composed by Tommy Tallarico. I think there was uh, some legal reasons that he needed to credit it to someone else for the time, because I think he was moonlighting for uh, a different company. But Earthworm Jim, uh, Will, what are your
0: thoughts on how these different versions sound and and, uh, what each of them brings to the table? Well, in the case of this game, and actually in the case of a lot of games that were released on both the Genesis and Super Nintendo, oftentimes the music was written for the Genesis and then ported to the Super Nintendo. And in that case, I feel like the SNES always falls short, because typically when people are writing for the Genesis, they're trying to exploit the biting FM rock sound that we've heard on so many fantastic Mega Drive soundtracks. And I think that's not necessarily the Super Nintendo's strong suit. And what I love about the genesis version you have that biting snarl of the fm synth and it does that kind of interesting vibrato and then portamento fall and i don't think any of the other versions really have the same quality that the genesis does and i think the the sega cd version is is maybe more appropriate to um, a higher production version of the time but it also sounds so cheesy and it doesn't have the kind of rock guitar sound that when that riff comes in and to me that sounds like a shredding guitar line. The fact that that kind of metric modulation thing and it, I don't know, it doesn't really sound right on the other version. Well, this is a case for me where the
1: Genesis version is really the only version that has that sense of charm and it just kind of makes you smile. It's very silly and fun, and it just really feels at home on the Genesis. Not surprisingly, that's what it was designed for. All the other versions really fall short in other ways. You know, the SNES just feels like it's it's not fitting for those sounds. The Game Boy, I mean, it's it's trying its best, but it's the Game Boy. You know, it's. I like, will
0: say once you get to the um the octave bass part And the that feels better eight bit. Yeah, that almost sounds the best on the Game Boy. But that whole <laughs> opening more yeah. textural atmosphere. Part, yeah, it's not really communicated well. How interesting. Okay, so one idea that we had
1: is, <laughs> what happens when games are ported to other systems? years later different generations apart and that happens a couple times uh, It's going to happen a couple times on this episode So basically what we're going to do today is we're going to play an example from Rockman and Forte that was originally released for the Super Famicom in I think 98 and years later It was ported finally in North America to the Game Boy Advance under the title Mega Man and Bass. So, right. what we're going to do is let's play that version first because we're very familiar with the soundtrack. So, let's play Cold Man from the GBA version, which is called Mega Man and Bass, and then we'll take a listen to the original. This is the GBA version. Oh, it's, GBA is working really hard to try to make this work, and I guess it kind of works. Uh, this game was originally composed by Toshihiko Horiyama, Naoshi Mizuta, and Akiri Kaida. This is Cold Man's stage for the GBA. It's, it's cute. Um, the bass is what struggles the most. Yeah. Um, the timbre of that sample down there in that register is very muddy. Um, also, again, you're losing so much of the characteristic... Of the, of the specific character that was achieved by the samples that that original team chose so yeah very very muddled down let's just for contrast sake let's take a listen to the original SNES version of Coldman
0: It's a world of difference in my opinion. <laughs> well, and it's not the fault of of anybody. I mean, the, no one is arguing that the Game Boy Advance is able to do what the Super Nintendo can do. What I think is amazing about the port is that they're able to keep all of the jazzy harmonic content. Yeah, Yeah, that is impressive. You don't feel like anything is lost in terms of groove, in terms of the actual notes and rhythms. It's really amazing what they were able to do. I'm sure because of the limitations, there was some subtle, almost invisible um, stripping down of the texture. I imagine there were some cases where, you know, they would eliminate the fifth out of a dense chord, or maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, they would have the... Root third seventh and ninth or something, or not always have to... the delay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think even when you're listening
1: to Super Nintendo music, that is really jazzy like this. You have to use quite a bit of imagination to to hear yeah. it in your head. But imagine how much imagination you need on the GBA. I mean, in order to really enjoy that into into picture what that would sound like with with
0: real players, you you almost need more imagination than I can even muster. Well, um, (laughs) I also think, though, that's only because we know and love the Super Nintendo version so much. If you'd never heard that piece of music before, you'd be staggered by how great the composition is. And I do think that Game Boy Advance sounds are charming and nostalgic in a different way. Well, it's
1: also possible that I wouldn't have given this nearly the time of day because It it might not have conveyed it as clear to me, which I I just, I don't think it does. It doesn't convey this very unique musical sound as clear. But yeah, I mean, they did the best they absolutely could. I mean, the GBA is a really hard system to work on. I remember talking with David Wise about his uh, struggles. He, for the Donkey Kong Country 3 port, that was another case where he had to just write a brand new soundtrack because... He, and and it probably would have sounded like this if he would have, you know, just converted the original and he just wasn't okay with how degraded that would have sounded. So he went off and made a new
0: soundtrack. So It is really fascinating when we look at these ports that, you know, we think about um, ports nowadays and for... For all intents and purposes, most of the differences are kind of subtle and invisible to the Mm -hmm. average gamer. And on an audio level, they almost 100% are... Are. It's more um, behind the scenes stuff about yeah. how the different consoles like I remember on the Xbox 360 and PlayStation oftentimes even though the PlayStation 3 was more powerful than the 360 games were often made for the 360 imported to the PS3 where they ended up looking worse because there mm-hmm. wasn't the same kind of uh, anti aliasing and everything. But in terms of the audio, it was identical. It's crazy to think back then, though. You know, you'd be going from completely different platforms that had entirely different sounds and limitations, and had any be average consumer could notice the differences—the differences in color, the differences in sound. Well, that's clearly why our playlist is so focused on those old
1: eras. We're not going to have a—we uh, think we have one fairly modern. Uh, game but there's a, there's a reason why we chose that too so let's move on this one i'm excited for uh this is going to be kind of hilarious so sonic 3 technically sonic 3 and knuckles here was released for the genesis you know sonic and knuckles came out and you could attach sonic 3 onto it some people refer to that as sonic 3 and knuckles now that game and title was also ported years later to the pc uh under the title sonic 3 and knuckles um and We've talked a little bit about this, but certain stages on that PC release had the music changed. And that was one of the most strong pieces of evidence for Michael Jackson's involvement, because for whatever reason, they weren't comfortable or able to have uh, the tracks
0: that Michael worked on. In the PC version, very strange. So, so or even those his stages, because you know, we found out that the ice cap zone was actually a Brad Buxer composition, but he was again someone who was yeah. part of Michael Jackson's.
1: Yeah. So those team. stages, the the music is wildly inappropriate and just really weird. But for the stages they did keep, um, <laughs> they just they're really kind of lame arrangements. It's basically just general MIDI. I, I really think they they tried their best but uh there's certain sloppy moments of getting notes wrong and it's just really funny to hear this iconic music that's so tied to one system to hear it ported so let's first take a listen to the original on the genesis this is flying battery zone act 1 Great piece of music, wonderful groove, chords, strong melody that for me is really tied to those instruments. A lot of snarl, a lot of attitude. Let's see what they were able to do with the PC version. this is frustrating they're getting wrong notes on this um that's a problem
0: this is the pc port of flying battery zone never play this on the podcast Wowzers. Yeah, there's uh, some of the sounds and timbres I think work kind of well in that kind of old Many 80s don't. reverb yeah. sound of the snare drum <laughs> feels fitting I guess for what this track is going for but I'm always frustrated by kind of lazy transcription or when a composer that is dealing with another composer's material uh, is not faithful to the melody. I mean, I remember right. seeing Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, and I'm going to call you out, Patrick Doyle, but uh, mm. when I remember seeing that movie in the theater as a kid, and, you know, it was the first Harry Potter film that John Williams wasn't scoring, and the dude got the notes of the melody wrong. Like, mm. maybe it was a conscious choice, but I'm sorry. you, you I doubt you, it. Take the time to figure out what the specific... Pitches are. Yes, yeah, so that's I mean, one it's issue not that hard. Well, that's one
1: issue with this particular port. Another issue is just you're not having any of that charming FM synth bite that was really that's what this music was designed for. So hearing it on this general MIDI palette, it it loses so much. One thing they weren't able to do with the implementation, probably because it's hard to sequence MIDI's. There's no vibrato, so any right. of those lead melodies that have those notes that are sustained, it's just duh It's just very dead, very flat. Right. Uh, not and a lot of life. And I think to those
0: it. the 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 sounds here fall a little bit more into the uncanny valley spectrum um <laughs> where the the genesis has that kind of fm charm it's so clearly all grounded in this same yep. uh synth color for sure where i think there's a little bit more you know it's it's almost better sounding on the PC version But that's to its detriment Because when we hear higher fidelity When we hear what sounds like real snare drum With this gated reverb right. But then we hear these really chintzy General MIDI kind of flute sounds Which also feel very inappropriate terrible. With the composition dun, dun, yeah.
1: dun, 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 dun. That was really bad That flute was probably the worst choice Alright so we thought we would put the Sonic Examples back to back We're now going to play an example of a modern Sonic game That actually had a dual release release um and so this is sonic colors it's crazy you're you're calling it modern but this is actually two console generations ago that's wild yeah i guess it's i mean it's modern in the context of today's episode modern to us
0: old geezers
1: sonic colors was released for the wii and the ds and i really wanted to play this example because i think this was a, a really valiant effort at trying to convert really impressive we recorded music that had a lot of you know, professional production and performance and mixing, trying to get that down on the DS. They, they tried their best here. So should we play the original version of this, Will? Yeah, first? let's do it. So this is Aquarium Park Act One composed by Tomoyo Otani from Sonic Colors for the Wii. track. And again, just a taste of this today. So we have time. This is Aquarium Park Act One, a really big, exciting moment when everything breaks down and you get that main melody on that portamento synth. A lot of interesting colors mixed together. You have some breakbeat samples on the drums, piano mixed with synth. Really cool production, really cool melody. Again, uh, let's see what happens here because this is a track that's so dependent on those production choices. Let's see what happens with the DS version of Aquarium Park. (laughs) <laughs> that break where the main melody comes in is... When you know the original, it's it's a, it's a huge letdown here. Uh, they really tried their best, but there's only so much you can do uh, on the DS. Uh, overall, I mean, this sounds pretty advanced for the DS, but going yeah. from that, that, that actual recorded, professionally engineered piece of music... It's just, you know, it's the best they
0: could have done. It's really interesting uh, with things on the Nintendo DS because they are able to use samples and it's it's an odd mixture of, of sounds Very odd um, for a console. Something that I thought actually works really well in this track is that kind of breakbeat drum sound yeah, is that's intentionally perfect. compressed on the Wii. That's part of the sound is almost though it's like a sample. Um, but when you hear that on the DS, it, it sounds almost identical because yeah, that, that the conveyed... DS's compression actually helps, I think, the sound of it. Yeah, that was conveyed and
1: converted really well. The, the main drawback is when that really big main melody
0: comes in, those instruments right. were not converted very well. I still think if, this, if you heard this piece of music just as it is on the DS, I think it's really lovely. And you wouldn't necessarily know the difference without hmm. comparing and contrasting. And I actually think this is quite amazing because all the examples we've played so far today were going from one, basically one chiptune to another. Right. Um, And so it's like we might be more harsh about how, you know, they could have done different implementation things, but it is just the reality of the disparity. But here we're taking a piece that was you know it it was just a wave file probably on the soundtrack or an mp3 yeah. it's just uh it's it's a fully produced piece of recorded music and then right. comparing that to something that has to be uh, done on this compressed, limited so DS impressive. hardware. It's really amazing yeah. that they were able to make it sound as close as it does. Yeah, they did a wonderful
1: job. So definitely no harsh words for them. It's just, it was an interesting example of going from the
0: Wii to the DS. Well, And I think, I think the think... best music to port in a case like this is stuff that has great melodies because the, yeah. the underlying aspects, the rhythms, the chords, the groove, the melody, That all comes through, and that's really the most important part of the music here. Agreed. All right, let's do another montage. So uh,
1: this is just two platforms, but sometimes it's nice to really quickly be able to hear the difference back and forth, so that's why we had a few of these montages today. Uh, I was trying to find an example of a title... I think Will gave me this idea. He was like, was there a title that was uh, released for the NES and the Master System? And at first I was like, oh yeah, I'm sure there were tons, but there actually were very, very few. This was a game that fortunately was released for the Master System and the NES. This is The Smurfs, a soundtrack composed by Alberto Gonzalez. We're going to play The Forest, and this is a little montage. You're going to hear the Master System version first, followed by the NES. Let's check it out. one of the first examples today where you have the port version is in a different key and also a different tempo pretty wild so the NES version is slowed down which I actually think it grooves a little harder at that slower tempo Um, but this happens actually a lot when for whatever reason the original key just probably wasn't working as well uh, mm-hmm. On that platform so he changed the key so Will, what are your thoughts on these two different versions which do you like better? And what are some of the strengths of each of them?
0: I like the master system version better Even though there's hmm. I think less variance in timbre, and I I love me a good triangle base. Don't get me wrong <laughs> I like the tempo of the original I like everything okay. about the original and I think it, it has that kind of charming arpeggiator 8-bit sound that I associate with Alberto Gonzalez yeah um, I, I wonder with the change of tempo part of it has to do with that the NES has certain set clock speeds that yeah. it can perform music on and and um, composers are able to uh, get variants and tempos in between that by switching the clock speeds rapidly um, but I don't know how accessible that was to do back in the day. And I also don't necessarily know how that actually affected the gameplay. that That's the thing that I'm not sure about. Because I've created chip chiptunes, but I've never had to actually have it be implemented into an actual game. Also, when I think of... Alberto Gonzalez, he did most of his work on the Game Boy, so it's interesting to hear an Alberto track on the NES. Right, I do like kind of the laid-back groove of the bass on the NES version, and you get that kind of, ing, 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 you know, where they both are both are nice. Yeah, well, that cool sound has actually happened where the um. The triangle actually, the beginning of it plays a note almost an octave or multiple octaves high outside of the range mm-hmm. of the bass, and quickly does this portamento fall or scoop down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> ding, like a laser, ding, and it, it laser makes bass. it have sort of a laid-back groove where it's a little bit behind the beat. And I think that's a that's a really cool sound that uh, you know it doesn't necessarily happen on that master system version. It's interesting; these are in very complementary keys um, where so you almost like the one in the four yeah it doesn't even sound like it's in a different key it just sounds like you've almost gone to a new section in the way that we've had this montage here but I think they're both great tracks yeah if you guys listen to that opening Street Fighter montage you heard there that was another example where a lot of the different platforms
1: were in different keys right uh, which is very interesting I imagine
0: some of that had to do with the tuning of like the Super Nintendo samples and everything could have been One thing that happened a lot in the Genesis era was you had a lot of
1: ports of arcade games, and most of them would be Sega arcade games. They would port them to the Genesis. A whole different uh, market of players would now be able to play these games, and every single soundtrack was, I would say, mixed results of success. Um, this is an interesting example. Uh, I actually don't know which one I like better. I think they're both good in different, in very different ways, and they both have their quirks. This is Outrunners, a wonderful Sega soundtrack. This particular piece of music was composed by Takanobu Mitsuyoshi, who I think he composed some of my favorite pieces of music in the game. Let's start things off with uh, the arcade version of Niagara Falls. right, so what have we heard? We've heard uh, really catchy rhythms, syncopated bass, kind of these cool jazzy chromatic, like I guess marimba sounds. Uh, Very interesting piece of music. Shall we see how they were able to convey this on the Genesis? Let's check it out. Curious to hear your thoughts, Will. I, gun to my head, I actually prefer the Genesis version.
0: Really, that's interesting. Yet yeah, to me, this almost sounds like a comparison between Super Nintendo and Genesis because the arcade mm. sounds, some of them, they sound to me like samples in the yes, way that the Super Nintendo are. works. Um, but also, even just the kind of timbres of those synths. See, it, it's if, if they are samples, they're sampling synthesizers. So it's that right. kind of you know chicken or the egg thing. Um, and there's something about that that you can get a higher fidelity or, or more variety, I guess, at least, in terms of the They're both good. The I mean, this
1: is another example where it's not like any of them are weak, you know? The arcade was, was the original version, um, and so there's a lot of personality with the instruments they chose, and it feels very comfortable. But the Genesis version is wonderful, and the beat is a
0: little bit funkier in some ways. There's sure. some of the changes to the drums. Tempo's, again, a little different. The Genesis always fares well in ports I think because it again just the sound of that FM is is so strong and it is like this kind of glue there's a certain clarity to it in the same way that like porting something to the NES just sounds really good because you don't mm -hmm. need a lot of fancy showmanship Just the the simple aspects of a piece are communicated really well. One thing that I do miss from the arcade version, the kind of tiny timbral sound of that electric piano on the arcade, to me, is lost a lot on the Genesis, and that's much of the appeal of the track.
1: Well, and I agree with you that the Genesis fares really well. This isn't the best example of that, but when you think about a lot of the arcade soundtracks, we're using very similar Yamaha FM chips, so when you go to the Genesis, it basically sounds the same. So yeah, the Genesis uh, definitely fared the best out of these port these
0: arcade ports from this well, time. As we always notice, the arcades are, uh, f- at least in you know until we get to maybe the era of like PlayStation Two or something, the arcades are always a, a few steps ahead of where the home consoles are. So when we mm-hmm. hear the difference between like an arcade to NES port we're often hearing, you know, FM synthesis to 8-bit square synths. Um, But then when we, for this Genesis example, it's like, We're hearing something that is using actually probably higher quality, maybe PCM samples Mm -hmm. in the way that sort of the Super Nintendo does. And then that being stripped down to like the FM synth sound.
1: Well, let's move on to a really interesting example. This was one of Will's ideas to try to find a game that was released on the N64 as well as the PS1. And I was able to find one, Command & Conquer uh definitely designed for the ps1 redbook audio soundtrack so how were they able to slice and dice that up to make it work on the n64 well we're about to find out let's take a listen to just do it up composed by frank Klepacki for the n64 Okay, so if I was hearing this music for the first time, I would be very critical of it. I, I think this sounds pretty bad. Uh, I might go as far as to say it's just a bad piece of music But that's what's interesting about ports here Is how much is lost here How much is this due to trying to slice and dice this up To make right. this fit on the minuscule 64 and, and
0: make it into uh, actual like audio samples That's what you're hearing here <laughs> The slight ver- gank, 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 yeah. gank, 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 You know where right, it feels well, a little off
1: While that's in our head Let's now hear the original on the PS1 Okay, now I understand. So this makes sense. This is a nice piece of, uh, you know, (laughs) modern-sounding video game music. Rocking. Reminds me of something you'd hear on a TV show or a movie. Reminds
0: me of Splatoon, actually.
1: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, Definitely good video game music here.
0: Um... Yeah, the N64 version is atrocious. I'm sorry, but it it just doesn't come across. It's interesting. This is an example of the... We've talked before about sometimes the PlayStation stuff sounds like Uncanny Valley because they were running wild with the Red Book audio and some of the cheesy or saccharine production styles of the time maybe don't age as well. But this is an example where the N64 sounds very Uncanny Valley because they're clearly trying to do something kind of hip and modern with this like recorded audio and it just it, it does not sound good. The Nintendo 64 I think shines when it's not trying to sound like real instruments where it's something like Mario 64 Ocarina of Time where mm-hmm. it's more just rel, it's, it's more just reveling in sheer melodic freedom and just kind of a sense of fun.
1: Now there were some soundtracks where they were able to have better results with slicing and dicing stuff up Uh, Definitely ways that it sounded better than this. But yeah, whoever is responsible for this N64 version, um, I hope was fired. Uh, (laughs) That was really bad. Okay, uh, let's move on to a montage that we put together. Uh, Now, this is interesting. You might say, you might scratch your head at this. We're going to play a montage going from NES to Famicom. You'd be like, wait, but is not going to sound exactly the same. Not at all. This is Castlevania III, Dracula's Curse a very infamous use of the vrc6 chip for the yeah. original japanese famicom
0: which version, which is a it's a konami creation that and i believe this was its first use in castlevania 3 i believe so
1: this was composed this track was composed by hidenori meizawa and jun funehashi this is beginning from castlevania 3 we're going to do a montage uh which will go back and forth from the nes to the famicom here we go Wow, what a difference. We've talked uh, at
0: length about the differences here, but to hear it back to back is pretty wild. Yeah, what's interesting to me is that the NES just always sounds good. You know, even that it can't do what the VRC six can because it, it has still is three doing fewer sound channels. Great at something else, yeah. Oh yeah. The thing that I love about the NES track, just in terms of the composition, the clarity and the shortness of the rhythms, it, there's a lot of articulation, and to me the melody is actually catchier on the NES, but you don't know get the you atmosphere. You don't get the really That's rich with overtones kind of sawtooth bass sound, and you can't get all the lush delay and atmosphere that that... that the VRC6 is incredibly doing, but I like the shortness of the rhythms, I like the kind of cuteness, and it does sound more like the original Castlevania, and I love the NES version. It's probably my version of choice for this soundtrack. I know it's crazy, but you know when you're listening to an old chip tune The VRC 6, it's like, it's not that impressive in today's standards. It sounds really cool, but it's still an old chip sound. I kind of like the charm of the NES. Well, it definitely seems like there was a different, and
1: and this was a great idea. There's a very different mandate for each version. The NES version, let's just try to make this fun, catchy, classic NES sounding music, and they totally succeeded with that. The Famicom version was definitely trying to add more ambience and a little bit more subtlety. There are certain elements that I
0: love of the um, VRC. Version. For instance, when the melody comes in, Mm -hmm. the the bass is much funkier and it really has this great groove um, and
1: great texture. I want to play another example of a game that was released for the Genesis and the Super Nintendo. I believe we talked a little bit about this with Matt Furness on his episode. This was a game that he worked on as well as Andy Blythe, Martin Jostra, and Michael Giacchino. This is Mickey Mania. And I think Matt was uh, writing original music for the Genesis and then that was ported to the SNES. I'm not sure if that's what the other people did, uh, but let's just check it out. This is Captain Pete. We'll start off with Genesis. boss theme there. Eh, pretty decent sounding track on the Genesis. Let's see what they were able to get on the Super Nintendo. So going from bass to tuba-ish sounds, definitely a lot fartier of a track. <laughs> uh, it's not bad. Uh, it kind of makes it
0: feel a little bit more orchestral. Will, what are your thoughts on these two versions? I, I love the Super Nintendo version because it's funnier. Um, the like That's orchestral true. sound makes it more tongue-in-cheek and feels more fitting for a cartoon. Um, but I do think <laughs> there's something kind of like rocking and driving and cool about the genesis but you know this is one case where i'd say i might prefer the super nintendo version Uh, interesting i think the the genesis is actually a little bit more earnest but it's not that impressive and it's not like i don't know it's a track that's maybe a little underwhelming where when you hear it on the super nintendo yeah the the it's goofier but it I feel like the intention of it becomes more clear like what it's going for it's more like cartoony and humorous right? Um, where like the Genesis I wasn't perceiving any of that I was listening to it earnestly as a piece of music and it's very beautiful but I kind of like the, um, the way that it's contextualized you know when you go back and forth you hear the Super Nintendo version and you're like oh god really this is yeah. what it is but after listening to both of them I feel like that one's a little bit more successful and I imagine in the game it fits you know mickey mania possibly a little bit better but it's something that the genesis can't do and i think both of them uh they they really kind of this is an example where i think they're playing to the strengths of each console the genesis is playing to the more rocking Uh, rugged strengths of those timbres and the snes is doing an orchestral thing which is what the super nintendo does best
1: well we're gonna play another snes track and this is an example uh that we've had before where this time a really beloved and famous nintendo game for the super nintendo would years later be ported to the game boy advance that happened a lot um and this is yoshi's island Excited to hear the differences here. I don't think we've ever played a GBA port of this soundtrack. So let's start off with the original. This is Flower Garden, composed by Koji Kondo. (laughs) ¶¶ Okay, so let's just do a little a mental checklist here. You have those really short, dry, funky drum samples. Feel good. I like the
0: bass. I like the marimba samples, the melodica nice. with delay. Everything's feeling good. Well, and it's just it's a really unique mix of timbres, and there's some cool effects, and everything gels.
1: Let's see what they were able to do with this on the GBA <laughs> Valiant, absolutely valiant effort. Very cute. Um, I think in the context of playing it on a crappy little GBA speaker with the sound effects, I think it's pretty much retained. Uh, That's amazing, I think yeah. especially if you've heard the original before, I think that you're going to... Have a pretty enjoyable experience. Uh, it is kind of interesting to hear what what is uh, limited and, and what is kind of falling by the wayside. They're using the original Essenia samples and they're kind of slicing and dicing those. Some rhythmic issues with with the drum beat because of that, um, and a lot of compression, a lot of noise and things like that. But overall, I think whoever did this.
0: Uh, Did an amazing job You know I have a feeling that Koji Kondo Was overseeing this port On some level because I know Even years later like when they did The 3DS version of Ocarina of Time Mm -hmm. Mihito Yokota was actually In charge of recreating all of that Music but you wouldn't know it It sounds exactly the same as The original version and that's because Koji Kondo was kind of apparently on him Really hard to not make any Changes to the sounds And I think Nintendo is is really that's something that they care about with ports as they want to maintain the integrity of the original It's interesting here uh, in terms of things falling by the wayside. The one sample that comes across very differently is The, the marimba. Kalimba or marimba or marimba Oh my gosh bum, 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 bum. It almost sounds an octave almost to lower. the point
1: where that's a different.
0: I think it's a different
1: sample They must have had an issue with the original, right. or is that how it was translated? It
0: comes out the other side sounding so different. I don't know. The other thing is, you know, right now, Carl, we're listening to this with headphones, but mm-hmm. a lot of the considerations with Game Boy is it needed to sound good on those chintzy little speakers, or and So speaker, it's possible yeah. that you know certain sounds with excessive overtones, you might it might obscure maybe the fundamental pitch and sound kind of muddy on mm-hmm. the Game Boy Advance speakers, but this is kind of amazing what they were able to do. It's it's, it's very clearly impressive. more limited than the Super Nintendo, but they're able to retain the character. Something I think was interesting when I was going back and forth between the versions mm-hmm. is that it seems like all the samples on the Game Boy Advance have this weird kind of volume fade to them. I know um, what you mean. You know, that it is not necessarily there on the Super Nintendo Version And maybe that was something that they were doing. And also this level of noise that you
1: hear over, over everything. Right. Um, definitely interesting. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm liking that we're able to shine a light on some of the really hard work that was put into some of these ports. Because although it sounds watered down, to get an SNES piece of music to happen on the Game Boy Advance, not an easy task at all. Right. So that was probably one of the more successful examples. Now, this is really unique we are playing a combination going from NES to Genesis. Now, when does that happen? Well, it happened because there was a Genesis game that was called Mega Man The Wily Wars, which was this collection of classic NES Mega Man games ported to the Genesis. Pretty wild. Um, and so we're going to play a track from Mega Man 2. This is Flash Stage. We're going to start off with the original, which was composed by Takashi Tateshi. And then we're going to move to a version that Kinuyo Yamashita actually worked on and arranged for the Genesis. So let's check out the differences between Flash Man Stage. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, this is a case where I feel like uh, Yamashita-san did a pretty good job of conveying what's cool about the original. She was able to actually to add a few other elements to kind of flesh it out on the Genesis. Uh, pretty good arrangement. Obviously, I still prefer the original for the nes i think it actually comes across better and, and just feels more clear
0: like what this idea yeah, is almost every aspect of it i think works better it grooves harder the intention mm-hmm. of it comes across where again this is the problem when you go from something basic that you, you know on the nes i feel like we're always using our imagination and that just right. fills in the gaps but with the genesis already there's a clear sense of like timbre and so when going for like this rock organ sound there are certain types times where I feel like you know, that doesn't really jive with, I think, Takashi Tateshi's original intention of the piece. And she also mm-hmm. um, adds, you know, to the harmonization, where before maybe it's parallel fourths. It's just like these kind of power chords. Right. But she fleshes it out into full sort of triads. And it, it just... It's different. Something something is lost a little bit there. I also think the NES one just kind of grooves harder. Sometimes less is more, but it, it's a very valiant effort. And I think it's very difficult to go from, fewer things to more. In most of the examples we've heard today, it's ports where things are being reduced. But here right. she has to figure out, well, what can I add? What kind of counter lines? And that's
1: a challenge because there really isn't anything you need to add to the original. Everything right. that you, that should be there is is there. And so going from the NES to the Genesis, I just thought it was a really unique example today to hear yeah. how she approached that. And I don't think anyone else back then could have really done a better job with this other than maybe you could have just used like PSG instruments and tried to make Make it sound like the nes but in some ways that wouldn't have been fitting i'm right. sure that that wasn't what she was tasked with they wanted it to sound like this new remixed
0: version so, right yeah i mean i think the whole idea of the game was you know oh we're modernizing these old Mega Man games kind of right. hilarious for us to think now going from the nes to the genesis is not that significant a leap <laughs> forward but, right i mean i think at the time that was one of the huge appeals also for sega fans it was maybe their first chance to get to play these titles
1: yeah an official genesis remix wow of flashman there you go folks all right uh this is a a very important example that uh we wanted to play today arcade games that were ported to the nes and in sometimes maybe becoming more famous more beloved on that console than the original how many people played Gradius 2 in the arcade versus how many people maybe played it on the NES? Huh, hard to say. I'm much more familiar with the NES version of the soundtrack. A lot of the soundtrack is different and features different music. This is one stage that is the same. This is Burning Heat, a classic track from the series. Let's start off with the arcade version. So this original arcade version was composed by Shinji, Tasaka, Motoaki, Furukawa, uh, as well as some others. The NES is credited to different composers, Heidenori Meizawa and Yuki Morimoto, but like I said, they did use some of the original music. This is one of those cases. Let's check out the NES version of Burning Heat.
0: Gotta say You know, Carl, I think we might have to call this a draw (laughs) I was about to say that I was about to say, you know, I can't really
1: pick one Because they're different and they're good in different ways I think these um, people, Meizawa and Morimoto Who worked on the NES version Did a really wonderful job of making this feel like a comfortable rocking NES track But again, what you get on the arcade is a sense of rock that you can't ever really get on the NES. So I think both of them sound
0: great and feel really great. You know what I love? One of my favorite choices about this NES version is not even attempting the harmony in the principal A section melody. Mm. And just letting that melody with the kind of delay effect in the other channel play over this pedal kind of bass groove ostinato. It's a completely different emotional effect than the original track, but it makes this piece distinct. And I I think it was a really great choice because it doesn't feel like the NES is trying to catch up and can't meet the standards of the arcade it's just a completely different piece they're both fantastic I love the kind of the zany uh, sound of the arcade version it actually reminds me of like some sonic special stage music or something it's really dreamy and it's this sort of cornucopia of beautiful fm colors but this nes version's more classic rocking 8-bit goodness and i love that too will if you had to pick though if you're absolutely forced to pick which version do you prefer I will go NES every time oh, because wow. it just it, it it's so charming. I I'm I'm just in love with the sound of the NES. I really have a love affair with it. Like it it, it it's this kind of perfect accident maybe in a way, but it there's just something about the simplicity of a three-voice texture, the specific timbres of those squares, the sound of the triangle, the sound of the You know, the DPCM drums and the sound of the noise channel drums, like... It's so it's almost sacred in my mind, and it always sounds good. I don't know what it is. Well, we had so many other ideas. We will say I would love to do another installment of this episode because now we're thinking of
1: all these other ideas. But one thing that would be interesting is even for this example, there was another game called Gradius 2, also known as Nemesis 2 over here. But in Japan, it was called Gradius 2 for the MSX, a totally different game uh, that was composed by Kanoyo Yamashita uh, as well as some other people. So that would be interesting
0: yeah, to play Yeah, there could that. be, if this is a port, um maybe, I don't know what we would call those. Um, we'd have to come up with a catchy title, but yeah, we could play uh, different composers' approaches to the same game. Well, also, game.
1: things that were a port, but had different music, like Sonic 3D Blast on the Saturn, right. that would have been interesting to explore, things like that. Um, You know, g- given the same visuals of, for example, Green Grove Zone, Uh, their different approaches to the music is is very interesting. Okay, Uh, last example here. This is Dragon Quest II. Now, this is a game that was released for the MSX, and then it was ported to the NES, and it was composed by Koichi Sugiyama. And I have a feeling, and actually, based on the publisher and the developer, I think that it was a totally different company that had to port it to the NES. So let's see how this fares. Let's take a listen to the MSX version of Joyous Song. is not lying that is a joyous song indeed composed by Koichi Sugiyama this is for the MSX which i believe was the original version uh let's see what happens in the port on the NES very interesting another example where they had to change keys for whatever reason uh, I'm sure there was a reason they had to do that They wouldn't, you know, ch- do more work For for no reason, so Must have been some issue with the original key um, But yeah, Joyous Song on the NES uh, Yeah, so we get The triangle bass, which again is a nice way To differentiate the timbres For the bass from everything else, whereas on the MSX, it's all this just this one Kind of pulse sound So Will, uh, what are your thoughts on the differences Here, and maybe do you have a preference
0: I think I like the MSX version A little bit better, I like some some of the quirky timbres on the NES but there's something weird happening I feel like like well one of the voices is sustaining quietly in the background in a way that I, I'm just not I'm not quite into uh in a, well, I don't yeah. think it's a fault of the the platform I think it was just the implementation I I yes. think I like a little bit more on the MSX surprisingly I don't think the NES had a very good implementation I think
1: whoever did it wasn't quite as talented as the person that was working with Sugiyama on the MSX version. So the MSX version feels very comfortable and natural and feels like a good representation of that music, where the NES version, yeah, something about it is a little bit off, which is interesting. I think that that happened a lot for some of these ports. This is an example where I'm pretty sure it was a totally different person that was doing this port. Right. Uh, and, you know, anytime that happens, you know, they might not be as attached to all those decisions made in the original, even from something like changing the key. Like I can't right. imagine that the original key wouldn't would
0: have been impossible. Right, exactly. Yeah, I, I like the original key better and I like the articulation better. Da, 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 da. You know, it's yeah. more attacky. Where this, it's in this shrill high register and the instrument they've created has sort of a soft, squishy attack, which kind of I don't wanna say it ruins the melody, but it definitely mm-hmm. It takes away a lot of the character of it. Um, right. It's almost like it should be like a woodwind melody or something, you know, mm-hmm. where this makes it more like a string melody. Well, we had a lot of interesting
1: examples of different ports to different systems. Let us know if you guys enjoyed this episode and if you have other ideas, for examples, that we didn't include today for our inevitable follow-up episode. A lot of music we got through today. This was a lot of fun. Will, since we're talking about ports, do you have a memory of a port that you actually played that was particularly bad, maybe just as far as the
0: game goes? Ooh, let's see... I'm sure there must have been something on like the GameCube. <laughs> or, I feel um, like I played a port
1: of one of the classic platformers. It might have been Prince of Persia or Another uh, World. There you go. Where yeah, some, the
0: controls the, were just the worst. The, the NES version of Prince of Persia is laughably bad. <laughs> it's laughably bad it's just (laughs) atrocious and it's like
1: it's like a top-down game it's like a puzzle game
0: (laughs) yeah out of this world or another world has also some pretty bad ports too Mm -hmm. um those are the ones that come to mind yeah uh that that stuff is funny Uh, particularly when it comes to music i mean a lot of the early uh, consoles had some pretty unfortunate luck when it came to the ports because when you think about well, when we conceived this episode it was really about you know Genesis versus SNES. Yes. But that's almost the most unfortunate pairing ever because they couldn't be more different in terms of how the music was implemented and in yeah. terms of their strengths and weaknesses. So it's really very ripe for some embarrassing moments I think. And the Earthworm Jim example i think is an example where it's like the genesis is clearly better yeah and the super nintendo is worse but it's funny how that where the super nintendo was more powerful in almost every single way but when it came to Mm -hmm. porting something from the genesis it ended up feeling worse and it's similar to what we were talking about with say the 360 and the ps3 even though the playstation was more powerful when you're porting something from a you know a, a console with more limitations sometimes it actually is worse on the system with higher fidelity cuz you start yeah. to see all of the the little nooks and crannies and crevices that maybe <laughs> were smoothed over in a more simple thing. And that's why I I feel like in all of these examples, with maybe the exception of the Dragon Quest one, the NES always fares really well in any kind of porting situation because I think its simplicity is its charm. Absolutely. We're going to play you guys out with a medley we put
1: together of Metroid. Now, this game was released on two different platforms, the Famicom Disk System as well as the NES. So we're going to have a little montage which shows the differences, sometimes subtle, between those two systems. Systems. Again, this was composed by Hirokazu Hiptanaka. Thanks so much. This was a lot of fun. Will, do you have anything uh, to mention or plug at the end here?
0: Uh, I don't I don't think so. Uh, yeah, thanks again for joining us this week, everybody. And we hope that you'll check out other podcasts on the Marcado Brothers Network. We have Heroes 3 Adventures in Asian Cinema, hosted by our brother Marty and our good buddies Carlos and Matthew. And we also have Underscore, that I co-host with Marty, also on the Mercado Brothers Network. And yeah, we should get some more podcasts, man. When are you going to do yeah. a spin-off <laughs> drumming cast? Oh, I want man, i Carl I'm so Drum busy. cast.
1: Maybe one day, maybe one day. <laughs> oh, one thing I want to mention, next week on The Docket, we have an episode... T-M-N-T. Oh, Oh, yeah, baby.
0: This is long overdue.
1: Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. Also, coming up a couple weeks after that, we promise you guys another extra installment of Listener Show and Tell. So we're having, uh, usually we just had done that once a year, but we had such a high number of people submitting tracks and some that didn't make it that we promise you guys another installment of Listener Show and Tell this summer. So it is coming. Now's the time. If you want to send us your picks, you can email it to us, leave comments. leave tweets, leave messages, uh, and we are going to be probably approaching that a little bit differently. We might be rating our favorites to to make the playlist for that. So yeah, that's coming out two weeks after our TMNT episode. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Thanks to all the wonderful comments and emails. We've gotten a lot of new supportive listeners lately. Thanks to our patrons. Thanks to everyone for subscribing and reviewing on iTunes. You guys rock. We're going to play you out with this Metroid ending montage. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm Will Brueggemann. Have a great week, everybody. Peace out.